0: AA Beyond Belief is a podcast for, by, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> A few days before Christmas, I spoke at the Paseo Group's Alcathon in Kansas City, Missouri. I wasn't terribly prepared for my talk, but I arrived about half an hour early, which gave me some time to jot a few ideas down on a napkin. Using the napkin as my guide, I talked about the language of recovery, the action I took and continued to take in my recovery, my thoughts about the steps and AA literature, and I also outlined my experience of getting and staying sober with the following words. Defeat, hope, decision, getting honest, getting well, making amends, maintenance, seeking peace, and helping others. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. Hey. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's great to be here. I, uh, I spoke at a Paseo Alcathon. I think it was back in the 90s and you were on you were meeting in a little house off of the paseo i think it was on floor or something i i do you, anybody was going to with uh, that, that time? would have
1: been uh that would have been so, brooklyn okay there you go yeah in the 90s yeah
0: yep.
1: yes. cool. i didn't uh. either but i staggered in there <laughs> for few time and
0: uh then i don't think i spoke at another one until we um Got our we agnostics group started. So now this, I think this is the fifth year in a row that I've I've spoken here. Thank and and, uh, and I love it. And I and I have a lot of respect for this group. Um, one of the times I came here to speak, I was reading the archives that in the old across the street, mm-hmm. and, and I was reading about the history of this group. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading about. Um, Oh, how, how this group started in 1947. It was called Kansas City Interracial, and it was the first time that uh, black people and white people ever met together in Alcoholics Anonymous in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I consider this to be the first truly inclusive AA group in Kansas City. And mm-hmm. I and I think back to what that must have been like and, and what that meeting was like, and I'd almost like to transport myself back in time mm-hmm. so I could talk to those people and understand what it felt like to be at that meeting but then there was another story and i was reminded of it because when you guys were saying the lord's prayer i had to run away, run away and hide somewhere and i went in that room where your archives are now mm-hmm. and uh there's another story about um oh what's his name the fellow who found who wanted the big book mm-hmm. Frank. frank mm-hmm. He, he wanted the big book and uh there wasn't one around And I found that really interesting, too, because I have heard that back in the old days that the big book really wasn't so easy to come by. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, anyway, this guy got the book, but it reminded me of, um, I thought about him a few weeks ago. I went to the um, archives at Group One, the the Missouri, Western Missouri archives, Uh and I found in there a letter that somebody from Missouri wrote to GSO, and this this was back in the 40s. I get, I think it, was, it must have been before Group One, mm-hmm. because he wanted to know if there was an AA meeting in Missouri, and GSO wrote back and said, no, nope, there aren't any. But here's they shipped him a big book, mm-hmm. and they said, um, pay us if you can. If you can't, that's okay. And you know, the big book was actually kind of pricey back then um, in the in the, those monies, but. Um, I thought that was really interesting, you know, back, back at that time, you know, that, that book was pretty important and finding other alcoholics that wanted to recover wasn't always so easy. Mm. So where we're at today, um, you know, there's a lot to be grateful for. It's those people that came before us that, that made this possible, you know, the Paseo group for sure, you know, one of the, one of the, the, the strongest groups in Kansas city when it comes to service. Um, uh, I never had anything to do with uh, service and Alcoholics Anonymous until we started our group, um we agnostics. And when I went to the district, I went to the area, I'd see all these people from the Paseo group, and I said, that's what I want my group, we agnostics to be like. Um, we're not quite there yet, but i'm I'm inspired by um, some of the younger members of our group. Um I'm kind of getting tired of of uh, having the business meetings and all that kind of stuff, but but um, as I get tired and kind of hang back, I'm watching the, the younger people step up. And, and one of them came to me and she said, uh, John, I, I think we'd, we'd like to have a business meeting in January and, and maybe even talk about having a GSR. I said, Wow, well, I mean, last time we asked if anybody wanted to be a GSR, nobody was interested. Last time we asked if anybody wanted a treasure, nobody was interested. So it, it looks like the group is, is beginning to grow up mm-hmm. and, and, and is ready to take responsibility for itself. And so I'm, I'm really happy to see that, see that occur. Very good. So anyway, um, I I always wish that I would have prepared something before I come here, but it always turns out well anyway. Um, I did write down some words on a piece of napkin and some things I wanted to talk about. Um, experience, language, action, um, how the steps are descriptive, not prescriptive. And... I'm going to start though by the, the formula that they give us in AA, which is basically how what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Um, so I've been sober for 31 years. Yeah, oh, I've been sober and a member of Alcoholics Anonymous much longer than you know I was drinking. Um, mm. When when I got here, I, my last drink, I was 25 years old, and at, what was going on in my life is I'd gotten arrested for drunk driving for the third time, and I lost my job, and I just I was defeated. I I, I had been thinking that I was I needed help since I was about 19. So from the ages of 19 to 25, um, I was drinking alcoholically, and. Um, but, but I really couldn't admit it. I, I think my problem was I just figured that I was too young. Um, but after that third DWI and being confronted by my employer um, about my drinking and the many times that they tried to convince me to get help and so forth, um, that, that was it for me. And so I, I made it to my first um, AA meeting. It was just a couple of weeks before my 26th birthday, and I went to the downtown Nooners group. And I remember walking into the room and uh, the first thing I saw on the wall were the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. And that first step, when I read it, um, it probably isn't how I would have put it in my language, um, but it really was an ideal description of how I felt. It was a poetic description, I guess. You know, I was powerless over alcohol, my life had become unmanageable. there's There was no doubt when I when I read those words that rang true. And then the tradition, the third tradition that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking, gave me hope that that was that was where I needed to be. because I got my I, I got myself to the point where it was so bad for me. I, I even stopped debating whether or not I was an alcoholic. All I knew was I wanted to fucking stop drinking, excuse the language. And that was everything to me, to see that there. Um, The worst thing that could have happened is if somebody would have said, oh, you're too young, you don't really qualify, you know, that that would have been awful. So I was was welcomed into the fellowship, and uh, I I went to the downtown Nooners group um, for quite a while, and then I went to P3 where I... I went to meetings for 25 years, and I was always active, um, actively involved with, with AA by, you know, going on 12-step calls and um, taking meetings for places and sponsoring people and, and all of that. And I worked the steps um, through the Big Book uh, with with a sponsor, reading the reading it, underlining it, highlighting it, all of that, knowing it real well and then uh, working the steps with a sponsor, too. I also learned how to, um, I also learned the language in AA. You kind of picked that up, too. And uh, that served me really well because um, there was a point where I was, um, well, put it this way, I I, I realized that I really didn't believe in God, and and so um, I I could still talk the AA talk, and uh, everybody was happy with that. But, but it got to a point where um, I, I couldn't do it anymore, and so I started speaking in my own way. And I was very comfortable with this idea that the steps, the steps are words, they weren't my words, but they were written by people who were describing an experience that they had. And, and I had the same experience, but I would describe it differently. And I see these steps and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous as a very practical thing. Um, I, I, I focus more on what I do and less on what I believe. And what I do Is the same thing as anybody who might believe that there's a power that's greater than them that helps them do it. So I kind of wrote down, um, you know, I've written the steps in my own language lots of times, but this time I just put down a few words on a napkin. Sometimes they add up to 12, sometimes they don't. But this time I put down the. This is what I wrote down: defeat, hope, decision get honest, get well, make amends, maintain, seek peace, and help others. So that's basically what I like to do. The So I guess going into it is, I was talking to somebody um, just last week about the mystery of um, what it is that gets us to a point to Admit that we're powerless over alcohol, and other people never get there. And it seems like it doesn't matter, you know, how bad things get, some people just never get to that point. And I don't know if they'll ever figure that out. Um, and maybe there really isn't an answer for it. But all me and my friend knew who were talking about it was that we both had this experience where we were just convinced that if we were gonna live, we had to stop drinking. And furthermore, we were convinced that we couldn't stop drinking. Um, so that that's, that's a bad situation to be in. And what are you gonna do but reach out for help? And I knew to go to Alcoholics Anonymous because that's, that's what I read about in the papers. You know, um, as a kid I would read, um, Dear Abby, back then you had paper newspapers you'd read and I, I'd read the Dear Abby and anytime someone had a drinking problem she'd always say go to Alcoholics Anonymous, so I always knew that was a thing to do, plus it's in the movies and everything, that, 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 was, that was where you would go and I don't truly know if there was anything else anyway, but uh, so I knew to go there and, um, and so I went and immediately upon getting to that meeting and seeing the other people who described their drinking um, and it being like mine and just looking at them and seeing that they weren't going through that life today, I immediately just had this sense of hope that if they could do it, I could do it. And I made a decision right then and there that I needed to go to these meetings and I needed to figure out what they were doing, and I needed to um, I needed to stay sober. So that was basically the three steps right there. You know, making that decision to to stay sober. And so I, I was uh, going to that group, uh, the downtown Nooners group, and it was a mixed group, men and women, and uh, they were very good to me. Most of them were older than me. I was very young at the time. And they, uh, somebody there recommended that I go to P3, and it was an all-men's group. And I thought that was kind of weird to go to an all-men's group, but it turned out to be a really good thing for me because at that particular time, there were a lot of guys my age. A lot of guys. A lot of us went in our twenties were going to that group, and we were all getting sober together. And so I had um, this connection with these other people that were like me. And we didn't see each other just during the meetings, but we went out together um, to movies, um, all kinds of different things that we would do together. They were they were just they were just friends and. That was really important to me, I think, and my sobriety, because my drinking was characterized by really um, not having friends, or or rather just being um, isolated from from other people. Um, Though I was a bar drinker, I was alone when I was drinking. So um, that part of, of Alcoholics Anonymous was really critical, I think, for my recovery, was just that having friends and learning how to have fun and do things without getting messed up. So um, that was a huge deal. So I, I went to that group, like I say, for um, 25 years. And, and I kind of break up my sobriety like in decades when I look back at it because I you go through different, different periods of time. And I think that that first 10 years of my sobriety, um, AA was pretty much my life. Um, in other words, the friends I ran with were in AA. Pretty much everybody I was in contact with was in AA. I was going to many, many, many AA meetings. It was really what my life was at the time. And then after that ten-year period, um, my father died unexpectedly, and my mother had already died many years earlier. And it was a, it was a, it was a situation that whatever happened when he died, I. I took a stock of where I was in my life and I I wasn't satisfied that just as a, as a person I didn't achieve any of the things that I wanted to achieve. So I was like 35 years old and I hadn't, um, you know, gotten married or done all these other things that I thought that people should do. So um, I I started doing things um, with my life that I couldn't do when I was drinking. So I went to school and um, I ended up graduating to get a degree and then I went to another school and I ended up graduating and getting another degree and um, I was able to get a better job, buy a house, um, have relationships, eventually get married. So during this period of time when I was doing that, I was living more of my life outside of AA than I was uh, the first 10 years. But AA was still what grounded me and though I wasn't going to as many meetings, I was still going to, to Meetings, and um, that was that was what was grounding me. Um, And then after I after I got married, I I resumed to my normal meeting um, schedule again. And then this is when my whole thing shifted with my um, my uh, my my perception of of Alcoholics Anonymous and the program and everything and the language um, really started changing during that second ten years. Um, I stopped praying. I was really Without even thinking about it, um, kind of giving up on this idea that about about God. I was never a religious person, and even in my early days in AA, I just thought there, I, I was rationalizing it all. But it got to the point where I just couldn't even rationalize it anymore. So there was like the steady the steady degradation of 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 me not really believing what I was saying anymore. So I would I would. Um, I would sit in these meetings, and they would read something from the Daily Reflections or whatever, and um, it was always a very God-centered reading. And I could always find a way of saying what needed to be said that would make everybody's heads bob up and down with yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so anyway, finally, I decided uh, after reading some books, I decided, oh yeah, I'm I'm an atheist, and I and and it scared the hell out of me because I thought um, I thought I wasn't going to be able to do AA, but Funny thing is that there's been atheists in A since the very beginning. In fact, talking about language, um, the steps, when, when they were written, there was an atheist by the name of Jim Burwell who suggested um, a power greater than yourself and higher power to substitute um, for God in some of the steps because he felt like we need to, we need to temper it down just a little bit. You know, um, When the steps were first written, they were much more uh, um, directive. Um, th- than they are now. They're, they're now written in a more of a pres- more of a uh, descriptive way. So, in other words, the steps aren't telling us what what we should do, but they're they're t- they they're, they're explaining what they experienced and what they did. And that's the way that I was taught to um, carry this message: is just let you know what I've experienced and what I do. I'm not here to tell anybody what they need to do. So. Um, anyway, so that, yeah, there's always been, there's always been the atheists around. In fact, they've always had these groups, these, um, agnostic groups, since 1975. And, um, I never knew about it. And I never knew they had these things. Um, but they, but I found out about it on the internet. Now that we can go online and Google things, you can find out anything. And so I found out they had these groups, and so I thought I would start one in Kansas City. And so I, um... In 2014 went up to my friend Jim and who was also an atheist at P3 and I said would you like to start an AA group for agnostics and atheists and he says yeah let's do it so we did and um, the group really took off pretty quickly I, I was I was surprised I I didn't tell anybody at P3 that we were leaving that that I was leaving on and doing it I just disappeared and we went off and started this, this other group and um, I didn't, I didn't really want, in fact, I didn't really want anyone from P3 to follow me over there. <laughs> I, was, I, was ready, I was ready for a clean break. Um, and what happened was um, we were finding people coming to our meeting that would not go to AA otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, because now, um, like when I first went to AA, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know they had 12 Steps. I didn't know that God was mentioned anywhere. I didn't know any of that stuff, but now you know. Before you even go to an AA meeting, you Google it and you research it and you see all the stuff. And there's all kinds of you know really um, wrong information and negative stuff out there too. So there are people that are just turned off and won't go because they might think it's it's a religious thing. So anyway, they'd come, those people would come to our group. Those people would come, and also people who might have had a bad experience in AA previously. So it was kind of an interesting mix. And now what what I'm seeing is um, the group has kind of evolved evolved a lot. I'm seeing, uh, in my from my perspective, younger people, um, 30s, you know, 40s is kind of young for me. Uh, some in their 20s. Um, and these are people who have never been to an AA meeting other than ours. So and our meeting is a little bit different in that there's no opening and closing prayer and we don't read how it works and things like that. And so there's not and, and, and most of us are atheists or agnostics, so there's not there's not the the, tr- the talk about God or anything. And this is the only AA that these people know. Um, and uh, now some of them though did come to the Paseo group. Uh, a group of them came out here, <laughs> and they had a great time. By the way, <laughs> they loved it. They they loved it. So, um, but anyway, something I've learned about these people these 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 um, people is, I am um, I misjudged them originally. I thought that I thought that they were going to be, um, oh. Not receptive to. Um, old ideas, um, religious language, uh, things like that, but but what I'm finding out is that they're not as standoffish or off-put by that as you might think. They don't really um, view themselves in, in any particular belief system or whatever. They just, for whatever reason, they just don't see that it's um, pertinent to how they want to describe their recovery. So. Most of our meetings are, um, are a topic meeting where the, the chair of the meeting will do a lead for like 15 minutes or whatever, and then a meeting um, it goes on around that. Um, sometimes we'll use literature, um, outside literature, but not very often. Um, for whatever reason, they just pr- they prefer the, the topic meetings. We did start a STEP meeting uh, this last year which um, was started off really popular, and and we started it off because actually the younger people were asking for it. But it's kind of funny they were asking for it, but they're not coming to those meetings. <laughs> so, I don't know. but I'm going. And so, so what we do is we, we and we don't read AA literature, but we we read the steps from a secular perspective. And speaking of the AA literature, and I don't want to be controversial, but. I, I did bring out the big book to that meeting because I wanted to somehow, when we started that step meeting, I wanted to incorporate the history of Alcoholics Anonymous with, with, um, you know, so that people could have some sort of an idea about how all this started. And um, but unfortunately, um, that didn't go over real well. The the, the a lot of people just did really have a hard time relating to the book. So I, I just had to I had just had to I just had to stop um, messing with that. So. I don't know how you know. I, I know that the big book is is revered and and it should be because it was an important piece of literature, but I I just wish sometimes that that we could um, say hey you know thank you Bill and Bob and everybody back then for for putting all this down but um, you know we can write too <coughs> and we have our own words and our own way of writing and it would seem to me that if if AA in the year 2020. Um, would put out something that is more up-to-date that um, it would make the headlines and, and maybe we might see our, our membership spike, I don't know. But um, it's, it's really hard. I, I remember even back in 1988, and I'm not trying to, di- to trash the book or anything, but even in 1988, when I went to the library trying to read up on alcoholism, and I saw the big book, um, the AA book, and I thought, wow, this is really old. <laughs> that was back then, but anyway. But it still got value. Um, there, there, in fact, I was thinking about, um, something from the big book and I was thinking about what I was going to say today. Um, and there's one little paragraph in there that my, um, sponsor did beat into my head that I do have committed to memory and it did do me some good. And that paragraph is, um, selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is the root of our trouble driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-seeking, self-delusion, self-pity we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate, seemingly without provocation, but invariably we found that at some time in the past, we made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt." Mm-hmm. I got it memorized, arise have had it for a long time. I had a tough time with that in, in the beginning. Um, my sponsor kept telling me about the self-centeredness, and and how i was self-centered and i really took it in a in a judgmental way but when the, the thing about the steps is that what we learn about ourselves it's a fact finding mission it's not it's not a judgmental it's not a i'm a bad person mission i need to figure out how bad i am it's a fact finding mission so I learned how to look at my behaviors without, without um, I guess, attaching some sort of bad feeling about myself because I engage in these behaviors. Mm-hmm. So in other words, I can do selfish things and I did selfish things and I still do, it doesn't necessarily make me on the whole as a selfish person um, or a bad person. But I think addiction, the very nature of it, and alcoholism when we're sick and in our disease just the very nature of it forces a person in that situation to be self-centered because you gotta do anything you can do to get that next drink, and I know I certainly did. I did some really bad things, you know, without thinking about who I was hurting, who I was conning, you know, and, and that's de- that's definitely selfish behavior there, but, and, and, but it was behavior that was driven from a physical need for another drink. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't, but, and then that, and that behavior from my addiction spilled over into other areas of my life. You know, I had to cover up for my drinking. You know, I had to hide it from people, you know. Um, so, so, my whole world evolved around me and thinking about me and my problems and how I was going hide, to hide my problems or get out of a situation. That, that, was, that was my life. So it makes sense to me that that, those, that that behavior would follow me after I stopped drinking. so it really um, took a lot of effort to unlearn that behavior, and the only way that I could was to figure out why I react to life the way I do anyway, and that's what the, that's what the inventory steps did for me. Again, when I first started doing it, like most of us, I really had a hard time with it. I'd write, I'd get depressed, I'd put it away. But once I actually started doing it, what you find is you're looking at the facts of what happened in your life and and how you reacted to it and why you reacted that way. And it's not a big deal. But what I did as I went through that, I definitely saw a pattern going on with me. And the pattern that I saw with me was a very insecure person all my life. I grew up in a household where I didn't know what was going to happen from one day to the next, and I was in a, I was growing up in this army family. We moved around all over the place, and you never knew where you're going to go. Um, there was violence and yelling and screaming. There was just a lot of a lot of chaos um, around me. And um, not to put the blame on that, but that insecurity just kind of drove me throughout my life, I guess, just trying to find some sense of peace, I guess. And maybe I was looking for it in a bottle, I don't know. Um, I do know that the feeling that the alcohol gave me was a feeling of relief initially. So, but what it was actually doing was kind of numbing me down. But yeah, it, that's what it was. It was a fact-finding mission of what it was that drove me. And after I did that, and you look at the whole big picture of, of my as I looked at the whole big picture of my life, and I looked at all these people that I resented and so forth, along with that came some understanding, not only of myself, but of the other people, primarily my parents, um, and people that, that, I, that I may have hurt even. And I, and I knew right then and there what I needed to do. You know what kind of amends I needed to make, and, and that kind of thing. And so it almost was a natural process from there. Those 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 inventory steps were really big for me to push me on. It, it really was just a natural thing. Um, but after you know after doing that, it's just a matter of maintaining it. It's just like I, I write down here. It's like you make your amends, you maintain, and you seek peace. That seek peace to me is step eleven. You know, as an atheist, you think, how the heck are you gonna do step eleven? It's a lot of God stuff written in there. But when I look at the steps, I'm not I, I'm looking at what I'm actually seeking and doing. What am I wanting out of it? And when I when I read step eleven, the what I see that I'm really seeking is peace of mind or serenity. For me, the Serenity Prayer is a perfect replacement for for Step Eleven. In fact, that's what I used for a long time. Was was that? Now I'm becoming a little bit more interested in meditation. I'm not real good at it, but I'm understanding now that there's a lot of value in it. And so, meditation can, you know, is a form of prayer too. But it's it's um, it's something that. Um, they're, they're finding some, some real value to, um, you know, scientifically that there is actually some value in, in uh, meditating and in training your, your brain. Um, I know the periods of time that I did meditate on a regular basis, the benefit that I got from it was this whole learning to let go of things uh, because in meditation you become aware of your thoughts because I, I think that when I was initially trying to meditate I thought that my goal was not to have thoughts but all I could do is know that the thoughts were happening but I learned how not to latch on to them so I could just watch my thoughts float by and doing that while I meditate helped remind me to do that during my regular work day that if I had a feeling or a thought I didn't have to hang on to it but I could watch it drift away like a leaf on a stream or a cloud in the sky, just not hang on to it. But it takes it takes real practice and effort to do that on a regular basis. I look at meditation just like working out, and I'm just as bad at working out as I am with uh, meditation. But when I do go to the gym and work out and run and all that, I feel great and I love it, and it just makes you want to do it again and again and again. And that's the same thing with meditation. I had that experience with meditation. But when you stop doing it, you forget about how, what benefits you're getting from it. So for me, it's just a, it's a, constant, it's a constant battle. But I, I'm, I'm beginning to see again that um, the meditation is probably something I do want to incorporate. I was initially going to say, no, it's not for me, and just not even look at it. But I think the more, the more I listen to other people talk about it, the more value that I see in it. And then, of course, helping others. Um, that's the core, I think, of, of what we do here. I mean, we probably start doing it from the day we walk in. I mean, I, I, I know that when I walked in that first meeting, I was probably helping the people that were already there because they were, I reminded them of who they were at one time. But um, there, there's a, a tremendous amount of, um, oh, I don't know, I'll tell you this. The best thing that I ever did in my life was help start an AA group because I I get to have this experience of watching people benefit from something that I in some small way helped get going and I'm watching these people get sober and get their lives together and make friends and more than that, now like i said i'm watching them love and care for the group and it's just it's just a beautiful experience it's the best it's the best experience i've ever had and that and that, that service and that and that and that is that is that is helping them um but it, but it was it's also something i was doing for me it's, that's another funny thing we were talking i was talking about someone today um you know how they always say this is a selfish program um I hear people nowadays saying that uh, they hate that saying that it, that it's a selfish program because it's not a selfish program because we're always giving and all this kind of stuff. But what what they're really trying to say, as I as I understood it, when people told me that it's a selfish program, is that yeah, it's an altruistic program. We're doing things for other people. We're not really expecting anything in return. But ultimately, we're doing it for our own to save our own butts. We're doing this because this is how we stay sober. Mm -hmm. I heard somebody in here uh, before I started speaking, he was talking about amends. And he says, that person doesn't have to forgive you. you You're doing that to clean your side of the street. Mm -hmm. And, and, And that's the truth. I mean, that's what these steps are. We are really doing everything that we do in AA, we're doing it for ourselves. Before I even got to my first AA meeting, the woman who was confronting me with my drinking, she told me, get help. But do it for yourself. Stop drinking and do it for yourself. And I, I don't know why she said that, but I guess she was telling me, you know, don't do it for your, don't do it for, for your father. Don't do it to try to get your job back. Don't do it for this or that. But just do it for yourself. Right. And ultimately, that's really what I was doing. I was doing it because I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't live um, otherwise. But, um, yeah, there's all kinds of different ways, all kinds of different ways to be of service. You know, John here is is the DCM for um, our district, which is a way to serve. Um, I go to Area 39, and I'm the chair of the Archives Committee. I don't do a very good job. I don't think I've done anything since I've been the chair of the Archives Committee, but I go, and I sit in the meetings, and I, I do what I do. But... Um, the thing that I get out of that, though, is just being around other alcoholics that aren't in my group. Um, for me, it's important to feel connected to the rest of AA as a whole, um, especially when I go to this agnostic group. And I don't really go to other meetings. I, to be honest with you, I have a really hard time with, um, with um, AA meetings in general. Um, and I'm just very uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, but I'm not at my group. But when I go to the area assembly in Sedalia, I don't. I'm, I'm not uncomfortable at all because there, no one's talking about the, um, the. They're just talking about how to how to do something, how to get something done. You know, they're they're talking about they're talking about practical action and doing things. They're not they're not talking about no one's telling me to pray or anything like that. It's just it's a it's a lot it's a lot nicer for me. So. So for me, um, that's really important to stay involved with that. I I think that I don't care to ever have another service position ever again, believe me, when it comes to district or area. But I will always go to the area assembly, I think, as long as I can, just so I can be around these people from other parts of the state. I get a lot out of it. It's It's a lot of fun for me to meet somebody who's very different from me, but then also to find out what we have in common. Um, and I honestly believe that what we have in common is far, far more than, than, than any difference that we have. And that's, that's true if I go to area assembly or, or any place else. So um, I hope I haven't pissed anybody off by anything I said. No. I will tell you this. Um, AA is my home. AA is what raised me. Uh, like I say, I've been here m- most of my life now. Uh, the, the principles that I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous are how I live my life. Anytime I have a problem, this is what I lean on. Um, when I'm not comfortable, I'm comfortable in AA. I'm comfortable here. You know, when you guys do your thing, I, I can go together. But anyway, thank you.